0: FilmSpotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Drinking Buddies, a comedy from Joe Swanberg about relationships and really good beer, starring Olivia Wilde and Anna Kendrick, is available to watch on demand before it hits theaters. And Rachel McAdams stars in Brian De Palma's erotic thriller Passion, available on demand August 1st before its theatrical release. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on Cable. The art house is now in your house. This episode is also brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 1 million high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code SVU7. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. On this episode of SVU, it's been just over a year since the Battle of New York. Now, beyond the hype, beyond the buzz, beyond the anticipation, and beyond the Thunderdome, I don't know, we take a look back at the Avengers. Later in the show, we'll bring you Q-Shots, our look at some of the current offerings on various streaming and VOD sites and services. All centered around a common theme. Inspired by The Avengers, we were going to do an episode entirely about the old British TV show called The Avengers. And Allison was actually going to rank all 161 episodes in order. She spent months working on this. She rewatched every single episode. But unfortunately, Allison had to go out of town on a business trip. So instead... I'm here with a very special guest, Jordan Hoffman, the film critic from Screen Crush and Film.com. and together we're going to talk about comic book movies that are currently available online. Jordan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm do, I'm doing well. I am wearing an Emma Peel costume though, so that's okay, Fantastic. right? I mean,
0: yes, that's it's still in keeping. It's a different Avengers, but that's all right. right. I may uh, no. break into my Sean Connery impression at some point.
1: <laughs> we can only hope so.
0: That was the movie, but not the TV show, but that was the other movie that was called The Avengers. So it, it I think it's all still in the
1: Well, the the film that we'll be talking about today is not called The Avengers, my friend. What is that it called? Is- the movie is called Marvel's The Avengers. That is the official title in the U.S. And in uh, the U.K., uh, it's called Marvel's Avengers Assemble.
0: Perhaps and to other- differentiate it from the British Avengers that Absolutely. people know and love. But here, but he- nobody knows that, so it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> but here in the States, it is tech. I am one of these guys that loves to call movies you know, what they're actually called. Like I'm, my favorite thing in the world is to discuss – The film Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire... So I really like talking about films with the, the, even if it's a weird name, and the the movie we'll be discussing is Marvel's The Avengers.
0: So we have that to look forward to later, you (laughs) saying Marvel's The Avengers over and over again.
1: Yes, yes. Um, I do have some problems that I'm working on, and this is one of them, but you know, until it's settled, that's what I'll be doing.
0: All right, well, fantastic. That'll be a little later, but first up is opening break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand. And our first pick this week is one of uh, one of my favorite movies of the year so far. It's called Trance, directed by Danny Boyle. It's now available on VOD, and it is the latest film from Danny Boyle, who directed 127 Hours and Sunshine, 28 Days Later, and uh, the, the movie that gave film spotting its uh, its name, Train Spotting. And this Eight. film is a heist uh, mystery. It's about a guy who's played by James McAvoy who steals and hides a priceless painting, but then wouldn't you know it, Jordan, he gets conked on the noggin by Vincent <laughs> Cassell. I hate it when that happens. He forgets where he put the painting. So to try to remember where he put it, he gets sent to a hypnotist who's played by Rosario Dawson, and she tries to jog his memory. Where are you now? I'm in the hallway. The doors are locked. All the doors are locked. Go upstairs to Frank's bedroom. way. Do you see the bedside table? Yes. Open the drawer. No, the lower one. Is there a gun? Yes. Do you think you can use it? I don't know. I've never used one before. Do you want
1: me to call the police?
0: no, 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 no. No. Uh, The movie got, uh, I would say, decent reviews when it came out. It was mostly described as a pleasant trifle, but I actually ended up seeing it twice because I ended up talking about it twice with two different film discussion groups that I host in in New York City, and I actually found that it was a really fun movie to rewatch, to think about more, and to talk about. There was... There's a lot going on here kind of beneath that very beautiful surface and there are some choices that I did question, mostly revolving around uh, Rosario Dawson's character and, and the depiction on screen of what I'm going to call her Good China, let's say. And uh, I, I didn't. Really, I liked the film overall, though. I found it kind of an interesting return for Danny Boyle to some of the themes that he he covered early in his career in Train Spotting, and especially in his first feature, Shallow Grave. Jordan, did you see
1: Trance? Well, you know, it's funny. You saw it twice, and that's why I didn't see it once because you took my my turn. Um, no. <laughs> I uh, it's funny. I I meant to see it and then um, I didn't see it. Actually, uh, I heard about it though. And frankly, you're among the few people I know who liked it. Uh,
0: well, those people are wrong, and I was right. But it is a good movie. I, I recommend you check it out. That's trans. It's available now. We've got two more quick picks for you. Uh, I haven't seen any of these films, but I'm looking forward to checking both of them out. The first one is called Ginger and Rosa. It's directed by Sally Potter, and it's available now on VOD. And this film premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, and it stars Elle Fanning and Alice Englert. They played two teenage girls in London in the 1960s, and it's like a coming-of-age story amidst, you know, everything that was going on that decade. The Cultural Revolution and uh, I think the threat of nuclear war also kind of weighs heavily on the subject matter. Another highly acclaimed film. I didn't get a chance to see this one. I want to see it. Did you see this one? Did you review this one at all, Jordan? Which one Ginger and Rosa? Yes.
1: It's very embarrassing. I've had <laughs> this is the second one I haven't seen. I've had a copy of this on my desk for a really long time, but I didn't have to review it, so it's always been on the I'm going to get to this one soon. I really would like to see it though because um I like the leading actress, that young woman named Alice Englert, because I saw her in a movie that isn't good, but she was great in it. I saw her in uh, Beautiful creatures, ah. a movie that is basically forgotten. It was one of these would be like young a Twilight adult, franchise. knockoff, yeah.
0: right, yeah. It was
1: a Twilight knockoff that was actually it wasn't good, but it was it had a lot going on. Uh, what's his name? Jeremy Irons is very very funny, and, and the lead is this young Alice Englert, who by the way happens to be uh, Jane Campion's daughter. Ah. So you know, if you were curious for the people magazine set out there. Um but uh she was great in it. And then I know that she plays well either Ginger or Rosa, I don't know which one. <laughs> all uh, right. It's a 50-50. And so I do want to see it. And I la- like Sally Potter's an interesting filmmaker. She, um not all of her stuff is good. Did you ever see that movie she made called Yes? I haven't. I got one word for you on that one. That word is no. Uh <laughs> But up. Yes, yes is not a very good movie. <laughs> Um, but it's also interesting. Like, it's all done in iambic pentameter, and it's it's just it just doesn't really work. But nevertheless, I didn't see Ginger and Rosa. I will before the end of the year, all much right. like uh, the other one you mentioned, Trance.
0: All right. Well, that's Ginger and Rosa. It's now available. And last but not least... I hope
1: I saw this last one. Otherwise, I'm going to be really embarrassed.
0: I don't think you have, because I don't think anyone's seen this one yet. It's going to be available on VOD on August 2nd. It's called The Canyons, directed by Paul Schrader. Oh, my God. The Canyons. Yeah. And, and it's from Paul Schrader. That's the writer of Taxi Driver, the director of many films. Films like American Gigolo and Affliction. Uh, So much has been written about the making of this movie. Not much has been uh, written about the movie itself because not a lot of people have seen it yet. But uh, it was a rocky production. There was a lengthy and fascinating New York Times profile about Schrader and the making of the movie, and in particular about his uh, his struggle to control his star, which would be Lindsay Lohan. The film also stars uh, porn star James Dean and film director Gus Van Sant. Uh, It's going to be playing very soon, and it's going to be premiering on VOD on August 2nd. This episode of Film Spotting SVU is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. And at Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, advertisement, video, or any other type of project. You can choose from over 1 million high-quality stock video clips, 2D or 3D animation, and motion graphics, And they have clips in a variety of digital formats, and most come in HD. Shutterstock sources clips from around the world and puts them at your fingertips with contributors that are professional filmmakers and animators. And they review each video individually for content and quality before adding it to their library. And they add over 10,000 video clips each week, so every time you visit, you'll find something new. Shutterstock has sophisticated search tools, so you can search and drill down by category, resolution, contributor, and more. They also have shareable clip boxes, and a huge image library of photos, vectors, icons, and infographic templates for all your creative needs. Shutterstock has flexible pricing, and you can choose between individual clips or video packs, and you can download clips in HD or by standard def or web formats. Shutterstock is a complete global offering with offices in more than a dozen countries, and it's a true global marketplace for buyers and creative contributors. They've got multilingual customer service with dedicated corporate reps, and full-time customer support throughout the week. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. There's no credit card needed. You just start an account and start using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like. If you decide to purchase, use offer code SVU7, and new accounts will receive 30% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com, and for 30% off new accounts, use offer code SVU7. We thank Shutterstock for their support. We're supposed to have a discussion this week about the the Netflix series Orange is the New Black. That's going to be our next listener's choice review. But Allison really wanted to be here to do that, so we decided to push that off for one show. She'll be back on the next episode, and we'll talk about that then. And that left us, you know, without a subject. And I asked Jordan if he wanted to uh, come on and be our guest host this week, and he was gracious enough to do that. And so thinking about what we could talk about, I thought it might be a good time to talk about – comic book movies. For one thing, I know it's a subject that's near and dear to both of our hearts. Jordan and I are both longtime comic book readers and fans. And we're in the middle of the summer here where we're just kind of inundated with with them. To the point where I don't know how you feel, Jordan, but I it almost I almost feel like I'm my comic book fandom is being tested at some <laughs> points during these summers when some of these movies come out and they're so horrible. Uh you know, there was a long time where I almost felt obligated to see every single one. Even if I didn't even if I didn't care about the characters or anything, just because I wanted to support the notion of movies based on these things, because I loved seeing them. Now I, I don't think that they really need my support, but there was no, a while where I would go see anything, anything <laughs> that was a comic book movie, you know. And I
1: I, I agree. Um, I mean, comic book movies are not going away because they're 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 in development well until 2017, 2018 or whatever. Um, I do think that uh, the Marvel juggernaut will not die, and the Marvel the Marvel movies are. Great. Uh, both the ones that Marvel Studios are doing and by and large, uh, the ones that Fox, uh, at least X-Men First Class, I thought was really great. And the Sony ones are, are OK. Um, but, you know, it looks like there's going to be some new DC stuff happening and that's pretty good. But there are still these other ones. I mean, keep in mind, I think R.I.P.D. was technically a comic book movie, right? Yeah, I mean, Oh, absolutely. Was- I wouldn't. I can't speak about it with too much first-hand knowledge because I avoided that one. I don't know if you sat through that, but I uh, haven't seen
0: it yet. <laughs> that was one that really tested that obligation. Yeah, I mean thing that's I was one of those ones
1: about. where that's exactly right. I mean that's one of those ones where it's like I, I don't really feel like I need to see that. But um, I think we're at a stage where summer movies are going to be, by and large, the Marvel and DC franchises are going to be the big center of stuff you know for for years for years and years uh luckily those characters resonate for a reason they're usually pretty great and there have been some missteps but uh you know by and large uh by and large i think they're pretty good
0: i mean it is funny though to talk about it in this way like i really did used to feel like i, I was sort of like supporting this this cult hobby that i had to go see comic book movies you know like get out the vote kind of a thing and now it's gone. Th- yeah this yeah exactly and this now this thing this little uh, obsession that I almost you know it was almost like a guilty pleasure of mine, you know in high school i, I didn 't tell people that I read comic books. you know it was like a dirty secret because it was like the least cool thing you could do and now these are the most mainstream movies of you know these are the movies that play to the widest audiences to tens of millions of people and I just think that's it 's kind of unbelievable I mean if you had told me that when I was a freshman in high school, I would have thought you were kidding. I would have thought you know someone was playing a cool, cr- a cruel dickens-esque you know ghost of <laughs> christmas future prank on me you know like look what's going to happen and yeah, i would not but, have believed it
1: but it's still i mean i you still enjoy them for what they are i mean i think the the marvel uh the marvel films the sort of quote-unquote official marvel universe films are all very good even the even the ones that are problematic are still pretty damn good and i thought man of steel was a lot of fun um you know i think sort of the big the big ten poles are still uh or nothing to be ashamed of, right? Uh.
0: No, no, but I will. You know, I will say, and we we don't want to talk too generally for too long. We want to get into our picks here. But I, I do sometimes wonder if in that transition from cult niche thing to super mainstream thing, if some of the flavor. ...that I loved, and some of the weirdness and oddness about the original properties sometimes gets lost. Uh, and maybe even gets lost in the movies, whereas compared to the movies of yesteryear to some degree, it, it gets lost. You know, when, when comic book movies were not big business, they were allowed to be a little weirder and funkier and maybe in some ways more... Um, I don't know if satisfying as the world, but but it's kind of entertainingly strange. You and, know, now, and now they are, you know, they're mainstream and they really are easily digestible and and they are at times quite wonderful. And I I do like a lot of the movies. Uh, that Marvel and DC have put out. But I don't know. I, f- I need you to be my therapist, I think, on this episode, <laughs> Jordan, because I am sort of – I have this sort of, like, tension, this push-pull within me between the that 15-year-old kid who loved comic books and still does. I went to the comic book store earlier tonight. I bought some com- – it's Wednesday as we're recording this, and I bought some new comic books. But I also – you know, I'm the film guy who watches movies and wants the movies to be great. And it's like it's not enough for them to be great – "Quote unquote adaptations" to me, you know, it's not enough to just put a really great version of Iron Man on the screen. It's got to be a great movie to me as well.
1: The the current uh, modern comic book movie is a very curious and specific genre unto itself, you know, it, 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 and, and kind of new in a way. Um, but you know, you were talking about Days of Yore when comic book movies could be a little bit weirder. Uh, that actually leads as a great segue to one of the three picks that I have for my three picks that are currently streaming.
0: All right, well, let's get into it. What's your first pick?
1: Uh, The first pick I have is what I think, at the end of the day, is probably my favorite Batman movie. Ooh. It's Batman Returns. Mm. Not Batman, period. An unusual, unorthodox pick. And not The Dark Knight, although I like The Dark Knight. Batman Returns just kills me because it's a very – Interesting mix of straightforward Batman tale, but it's a little bit campy and goofy. Of course, the third one uh, that came after it was not directed by Tim Burton. It was the start. It was the beginning of the end. It was when Joel Schumacher took over and screwed it all up. But I think that Batman uh, Returns is just weird enough. And what I love so much about it is the look of the thing, particularly now. The movie's twenty years old. And it really looks dated. Usually, that's a bad thing. But when you look at it now, uh, you can just see—you can just see everything as a set. You know, you can see that ten feet over there is the catering table. And for whatever reason, I find that very endearing. Maybe because I'm used now to Christopher Nolan's style of the Batman films being all on location, and you know, just shooting in Chicago, just shooting in, in Manhattan or wherever, and it looking very real. Uh, this is just, you know, really stylized. Uh, there are like the fight scenes are like dance routines. Um, it's all very garish with the colors. It's got almost like a campy kind of a, um, uh, like there are parts of it that almost have like a kitschy fifties vibe, particularly in Selena Kyle's apartment. Uh, it's almost got a little bit of a John Waters appeal to it in certain scenes. So um, the look of it, I love, and I mean, Danny DeVito as the Penguin is just. Fantastic! I mean, he's really incredible. Uh, Christopher Walken as Max Shreck is very entertaining, and um, you know Michael Keaton's a good Batman too. And Michelle Pfeiffer was is great uh, both in the Catwoman suit and out of it. So if you haven't seen it in a while, or if you um, maybe never saw it, which is possible, uh, check it out. You certainly don't need to see the first Batman before you can just jump right in. Um, but the set pieces are really. Uh, very stagey in a way, but it's still a cool Batman film. I mean, he's got cool gadgets, and uh, Michael Keaton is still kind of a badass once he gets the cape and cowl on there.
0: Hi. Hi. Listen, I'm sorry about yesterday, but I had a pretty big deal come through, fall through action. It's okay. I had to go home and uh, feed my cat. <laughs> so, uh, no hygiene. Actually, semi-hard, I'd say.
1: Have you watched this one lately, or has it been a long time for you?
0: It's probably been a bunch of years. It, um, I'm trying to think when the last time I saw it was, but I have I have fond memories of seeing it as a kid, and you do go back and look at it now and go, "Boy, this movie is pretty weird," you know, for a mainstream movie for a sequel to a really big hit. The first, like the first Batman, was, and I guess that was what gave Burton, you know, the the capital to do what he wanted and make this movie so strange. It is weird, and it's dark, and uh, all this stuff with with Penguin and his background and yeah, Pe- Catwoman her is, is origin.
1: Really, penguin's story is really dark and creepy. He's an abandoned child. He's deformed. He's living in the sewer with a bunch of other penguins. It's yeah.
0: very very strange. Right. He's not the comic book penguin who's just like a a little you know a short guy in a in a tuxedo he has this ghoulish kind of look you know he looks like something out of beetlejuice or something you know he's like a monster and uh, it is a it is a really good Danny DeVito performance so yeah i i i think it's a i think it's a good pick i like it so where is that available again
1: oh you can rent this one um all over the place amazon itunes voodoo YouTube uh for for a low fee and it's worth every penny.
0: All right. My first pick is a, is going to be paired quite nicely with that cuz it's also a Batman movie. It's Batman the movie from 1966, directed by Leslie H. Martinson and available on Netflix, and I think I mentioned earlier Jordan like when I was a, when I was a kid it was not cool to be a comic book fan. And as a comic book fan, the least cool thing you could do was be an old school Batman TV show fan. That was lower than the low. That was lower than the mole man and his mole people to get to, – to drop a nerdy uh, reference. Absolutely. So – this was, you know, this was sort of like a it was like a forbidden text almost when I was a kid, you know? And I I've been glad to see people kind of coming around to it a little bit lately. DC is actually publishing a brand new comic book series called Batman 66. Which is in the style of the old show. It has like the likenesses of Adam West and Burt Ward. It's campy, it's fun, it's silly. I actually have the first issue sitting here. I just got it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm, I'm dying to uh, read it. And I'm, I'm glad people are kind of coming around to it. And on the one hand, I get the frustration that comic book fans had with the show because for such a long time, you know, this was like the stereotype of what a comic book was to a lot of people when you yeah, said comic b- book. Bif- Biff Bam Pow. That's right. right. That's it was, was it. you know it was it was still maybe ten years ago where if you were writing a, like in a newspaper if someone was writing an article about comic books that the the stereotypical headline was like yeah Biff Zot, Bam comics aren't just for kids anymore like that article was still being written ten years ago you know and this show was the reason and <laughs> and you would quake with frustration. <laughs> that's right. And I would shake my nerdy fist at the guy and say no it's not true but. You know what? Now that comic books are mainstream, now that they've come out of that sort of uh, cult thing, out of that stereotype – I think the stigma isn't there anymore, and I think we're willing to enjoy the show on its own merits, which is great, because this show and the movie, this is the movie specifically, they were, they're were so much fun, and in this case, the movie was made between seasons of the show, I think the first and second seasons, right. and it has the look and the style of the show. You've It's got, the
1: same production. It's like watching three episodes in a row. Basically,
0: basically right. Yeah. You have Adam West and Burt Ward as right. Batman and Robin. Uh, the one sort of hitch is that it's got, like, the murderer's row of Batman you know rogues gallery you get the joker the riddler the penguin and catwoman all at the same time caesar uh caesar romero frank gorshin burgess meredith and uh lee merriweather who deserves a yeah i think if anyone hey, has- is
1: that the truth where's yvonne craig in all this no. <laughs> her, her too.
0: she's not she's she, she hadn't been introduced on the show i bad. I, lo- I would
1: get very i would watch the show all the time when i was a kid and when it was an episode that yvonne craig wasn't in I would be very upset, but I was too young to know why.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the show is, uh, you know, it's camp. It's very 60s camp. It's almost like the icon of of 60s camp on television. But you know what? You watch it. It is. It's totally self-aware. It's very much making fun of itself. You know, like you mentioned, you know, when Batman is attacked by a shark and he just happens to have bat shark repellent spray on hand, you're, you know you're making a knowing winking comedy. You're, not, you know, you're not making um, you know, you, it's, it's 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 a deliberate gag. And I kind of enjoy it. I enjoy the fact that it comes from a time when com- when comic book movies didn't have to all be so super serious. I like the fact that the movie thinks that it's absurd that there is such a thing as Batman. It's fun. Like I can get into that idea.
1: Listen to these riddles. Tell me if you interpret them as I do. One. What has yellow skin and writes?
0: A ballpoint banana.
1: Right. Two, what people are always in a hurry?
0: Russian people? Russians. Right again. Now, what would you say they mean? Banana Russian. I've got it. Someone Russian is going to slip on a banana peel and break their neck. Precisely, Robin. The only possible meaning. I like that there are the serious Batman as well. I like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, but I like the variety. I like... I like feeling that uh, you know that there's a variety of things out there, and it was no fun when Batman, the you know the show, the comedy thing, was the only stereotype, and I don't like it either when, when all the movies are too serious. I like I like the variety, so that's why I like Batman the movie, and that's available now on Netflix.
1: Well, that's also a lot like uh, like the um, the comics too. Different runs have different vibes. Different Absolutely, writers have different vibes. some Absolutely. are funnier, some are darker. Um, I funny. think Chris Nolan's films could use from a little Chief O'Hara. I think Chief O'Hara would be great in there. So
0: That would be nice. All right, what's <laughs> your next pick?
1: Um, okay, all right, we're sticking with a lot of the DC comics here, but I wanted to point out to maybe some of the listeners who don't know that are hardcore uh, into comics or would like to be more hardcore into comics that for a number of years now, I think five, six years, maybe even more, uh, DC has been putting out a pretty damn good uh, animated feature films, direct to video. Uh, they're about an hour long, an hour and ten, some, some maybe an hour and twenty, um, and they have they've been for you know all the what they usually do is they take a um, a well known comic arc or a, or what we call in the biz a trade paperback and um, <laughs> and turn it into an animated short, uh, animated film. Um, there's two that I really wanted to spotlight because. A controversial topic is the Green Lantern film, feature film, the uh, Martin Campbell – was that his name, Martin Campbell?
0: Yep, Martin Campbell Martin Campbell, it. Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, Reynolds. Yep. that
1: whole thing, which is a whole can of worms getting into. But by and large, most people would call that an unsuccessful film. Um, there is an animated version of the Green Lantern origin story, uh, which came out in 2009, called Green Lantern First Flight. Directed by a woman named Lauren Montgomery, and Lauren Montgomery directs all the good animations. She does all the um, Avatar: The Last Airbender and um, a lot of other cool stuff too. In uh, this, it's basically an origin story. It's Hal Jordan is uh, played by Christopher is voiced by Christopher Maloney. Sinestro is uh, Victor Garber, Trisha Helfer from <laughs> Battlestar Galactica is, is Boudicca and Michael Madsen is Kilowog. And if you don't know who all these people are, they're members of the Green Lantern <laughs> Corps. So don't, don't worry about it too much, but basically it's a, he's the test pilot and he gets zipped up to Oa and he becomes the Green Lantern and it's a, it's snappy. It's fun. It has a lot. Um, it has a lot less of the baggage that the other movie had. And it's a, a really great way to to sink your teeth into what I think is one of the best I'm a huge Green Lantern fan and this one is, is, is just really nifty. This lantern contains the battery that powers all the rings. It also contains all the known information of the cosmos The sort of atlas and who's who of space We're going to be playing in sector 1215. You need to be brought up to speed Stick your ring in the light. Think one, two, one, five, and the battery will do the rest. And then there was another one. If if that's your first taste, that one gets you in. Um, then, if you really get into Green Lantern, they made a follow-up, which is hardcore. It's called Green Lantern Emerald Knights. Now, most sincere Green Lantern fans know that there's never just one Green Lantern comic that's happening at one time. There's, I, I think, lately under the new DC, there's like four of them. It's crazy. But the best one is always what's called Green Lantern Core, which is you know the Green Lantern are space cops and they're crazy weirdo. Aliens doing things in space. From the smallest to the highest, there is a a Green Lantern member, which is the size of a little insect called Bzzzt. And then there's Mogo, which is a sentient planet. And then, uh, of course, when Alan Moore was writing uh, Green Lantern, there was one that was a sentient mathematical equation. So what (laughs) Green Lantern Emerald Knights does, friends... Is really really dive into the weirdo hardcore short stories of uh, Green Lantern lore. It takes um, uh, uh, usually single issue comics that were previously written. In fact, one of them uh, is based on an Alan Moore story, the the Mogo doesn't socialize story, and then some of them are new. And um, for the movie's eighty four minutes, but it's like six or so little shorts and. The animation style is bonkers. I mean, part of the thing that I love about Green Green Lantern is that you know it's very trippy. It's like like Doctor Strange for Marvel. Green Lantern these days is just wild and colorful. They really get it well in this little film, and um, I believe that one of the animation companies because they're different shorts, so they divvied out the animation to different companies and. Um some of them were I I could be speaking out of school. I probably should fact check this before I say it. But I'm pretty sure that some of them were uh anime companies. So they have like, you know, a well, wild look is what I'm trying to say. So those two movies are out there. They're streaming on um Amazon Prime, Xfinity Stream Picks, Redbox, Redbox Instant. They're all over the place. And then you can also rent them at iTunes and uh they're a blast, and they're very colorful, and if it's a late-night haze man and you want to watch the Emerald Knights one, that's one to do it to. I'm telling you. The first flight is if you thought the Green Lantern movie sucked, watch that. what you have to do.
0: Yeah. All right. My next – we're, we're going to finally get into the world of Marvel here with my next pick, which is uh, – it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm going to have to defend this one too, I guess, a little bit. Uh, I'm going to recommend The Trial of the Incredible Hulk a television movie from 1989 directed by Bill Bixby. And available now on Hulu. I think several of the Incredible Hulk TV movies, which were made several years after the Incredible Hulk TV show, uh, are available on um, on Hulu. I think at least two of them, maybe three of them, are available on Hulu, as well as some of the original episodes of the show. And the show uh, from the from television, if you've never seen it, was sort of like The Fugitive. The the setup of The Fugitive. It was like a a man traveling. Each week, getting into different adventures each week, almost like an anthology series with one character who recurred each time. And in this case, that character was uh, the Hulk, was Dr. David Banner, played by Bill Bixby. And I guess the effects quote-unquote, of The Incredible Hulk, both the show and the TV movies. They're not what they are in something like The Avengers, which we're going to talk about <laughs> later. Certainly. There's no comparison, almost. In in the case of the TV show and these TV movies, The Hulk was not a, a computer effect. It was a guy. It was Lou Ferrigno, the the bodybuilder, who smeared on a whole bunch of green paint and put on really what might be one of the worst wigs I've ever seen. That was a wig? Okay, oh my God. it was you it was ruined, his real hair. It was his real hair. He didn't you, even have to dye it. Lou Ferrigno has very man. strange hair. Uh, no, but it just it, it was a little silly uh, that th- this guy in green paint running around. But you know what? I what I really like about it, and what I think is kind of uh, missing from from some of the 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 movie versions, not just of the Hulk, but of other comic book characters, is that is the the TV show and and this. TV movie, the Trial of the Incredible Hulk, which I rewatched part of. I've seen it before a couple of times as a kid. Uh, I had a treasured bootleg of this when you when these were not available for the days of streaming. When you had to go to comic book conventions and buy bootlegs of these things, I had one of this. Is that it? it David Banner is an interesting character in this. He's haunted. He's wounded. Bill Bixby gives a really great performance. You know, this is like the signature thing that Bill Bixby was known for as an actor, was playing the Hulk. And how many actors can you say that now about Jordan? About actors who, they do these comic book movies and it becomes like a signature role. I think you would say it about Robert Downey Jr. certainly as Iron Man. But for most of these guys playing these parts, I almost feel like they're interchangeable. You know, they find a guy who's not very well known, uh, he's a, who's a good actor. He does a good job for two or three movies. Then his paycheck, you know, his asking price goes up. They replace him with somebody else, and you just repeat that cycle. And the performances are okay, but they're not, you know, great. And I, I really think that that's something that's missing, even amongst the great special effects, is that with a few notable exceptions, like Robert Downey Jr., like, that, that, that you just miss that sense of character. I think and, you're absolutely right right there,
1: because, um, you know, there was talk at Comic-Con last week where they're going to do uh, the Man of Steel sequel, and they're going to bring in a Batman Right, it's going to be like
0: think- Batman versus Superman.
1: Right, right. And people like banging some people were like is it going to be Christian Bale? Is it going to be someone new? And I'm like for these movies it doesn't matter. Christian Bale's fine. I mean, he's very good in other things, but he's not that great in the Batman movies. It's the it's the cape and the cowl. I mean, who cares who's inside?
0: Right. I mean, Batman versus Superman is a great example. It's like at this point, the 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 star is almost completely irrelevant. I mean, even though I thought Henry Cavill did a nice job in Man of Steel, it doesn't matter if he's back. You know, it's the concept that's what's being sold—the concept, the characters, not really the actors. And and yes, this is—it's a cheesy TV movie from 1989. It is what it is. But you know what? There's a there's a real bit of wounded soul to uh, to Bixby's uh, uh, Dr. Banner, David Banner. I want to say Bruce Banner, but he wasn't called Bruce on the TV show for reasons I don't understand.
1: Lots of men pass through here. Working families, migrants. I was hoping you might be one to stay.
0: So was I. It's not all hard labor on this spread. Plenty of different jobs.
1: It's not the work.
0: What then? A man like you could have a future in a place like this
1: not a man like me
0: if there's trouble you could tell somebody somebody might understand
1: can't just keep moving on you got to stop somewhere you have a nice place here good luck with it where will you go the city that's
0: not a good place People get lost in that city.
1: You have to stop someplace.
0: I, I think if you haven't seen these TV, the TV show or the TV movies, take a look. See what you think. You might be kind of pleasantly surprised, cheese and all. So that's The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. It's available to stream on Hulu. What's your last pick, Jordan?
1: Let's get out of superheroes. All right, let's move on. Do we have to? Let's, let's put that aside. Let's prove that we are adults. And let's talk about um, not comics, but graphic novels. And I want to talk about the film adaptation of Persepolis, uh, Marjane Satrapi's, And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. um, Her autobiographical, um, it was uh, two two books that were uh, collected and turned into a film from, I guess, 2007, 2008, give or take. 2007. And it is, if you haven't seen it or if you haven't heard of it, um it's a black and white animated film actually there's some color in there but it's predominantly black and white and uh it is about a young girl coming of age in iran during the uh islamic revolution and then she later goes to school uh in in france and it is really just um remembering it's her life it's what she remembers uh she's a very opinionated young woman and we we see that uh we see how we see her her parents we see uh the changes in society uh, and we see it in a very unique and very visual way because the animation is very simple. These are simple line drawings, but they're not, it's not, um, it's not, uh, it is sophisticated. It's simple, but sophisticated. There are some really clever uses of, uh, movement and montage and sort of, uh, taking advantage of the, uh, elements of animation that, 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 uh, Or what you know? Why do we read comics in the first place? I mean, it's not just because we're too stupid to read only words. Well, maybe sometimes, but uh, it's because you know, as as the eggheads like to call it, sequential art is a it's a it's a definite medium. There, you can use it uh, in and make it uh, a very uh, sui generis uh, art form of art. What am I trying to say? Other than using Latin for no reason, I'm saying. (laughs) <laughs> I'm saying that uh when I have to defend comics sometimes and I do I'll say yes sometimes it's just you know a bunch of superheroes flying around but even with with the DC and Marvel stuff there are times when there are things you can get across that you can express in comics that you can't do in any other medium and I think that that book is one of them and I think that this film is very very true to the book <laughs> mes liens sont toujours resteraient toujours des
0: liens très très profondes. en train de vivre un moment historique. Et cher tout de suite.
1: And so you can watch perhaps and you really should. Uh, it's in French. I don't know when you stream it whether it'll be in French or dubbed into English. It's streaming on Amazon. You can purchase it for uh, at some of the other sites as well. Have you seen Persepolis Ever? Of course, get yeah, it's, that? A great,
0: it's a good film. All right, well, my last pick, we're going to get back into well, superhero-ish, not quite a superhero movie, but sort of in the in that vein. It's certainly more of an indie comic, at least, or based on an indie comic, I should say. It's the 1994 film The Crow, the original film The Crow, directed by Alex Proyas, which is available now on Netflix. And I don't know, I, I've definitely seen Batman Returns, at least in, you know, if not the last... Two or three years, in the last five years at some point. Uh, The Crow, I don't think I had seen since the 90s. So I took a look at this before we recorded. And on the one hand, sort of what you were saying, Jordan, about Batman Returns, it feels very dated. It feels very mid-1990s. But sort of like you were saying also about that film – pleasantly dated. You know, it's it's clearly a film that was made in the wake of Burton's Batman. It has this very dark, very stylized comic book world. It feels very reminiscent, frankly, of, you know, what Burton did with Batman, you know, it, it's but there is something uh, to it. You know, it, it 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 has a style. It has a look. It's interesting to watch. And as great as the Marvel movies are, and they're, they're a great example because the Marvel movies are great. You know, they're a lot of fun. Thor, Captain America, The Avengers. They're all fun, but they all kind of have a like a sameness about them. They all kind of – by design, they're meant to fit together. So they all kind of have to look the same and kind of just – by definition, they almost have to be like nondescript, nondistinct. And The Crow – has much more. It's you know, it, it's one of those like weirder, funkier movies that I was talking about. It was made almost like an independent movie, it, so it you know, it's a Miramax movie. It has a little bit more of an edge to it. And Alex Price, a guy, who went on to make you know, Dark City, and even iRobot, which I think is not that terrible of a movie. You know, he's got a he's got a, a style to him. He has a he's got a look. Uh, I, I, I even like Knowing. I think knowing is. Breaking. I never, I never saw knowing, so I can't, know- I can't say. But uh, knowing is.
1: But uh, have you seen? There's like 75 sequels to this. Have you seen no, any of
0: those? I've never seen any of them. I've never under really understood why you would make, frankly, another one. Because to me, it was always like the appeal of the movie was certainly the the look of it, the Alex Proyas, you know, the direction. But then the other thing was Brandon Lee, who of course, you know, famously was tragically killed when they're making the movie. And I I do think part of what gives the film kind of a strange appeal, and as I was watching it a little bit of it again this week, you know, it's it it is an eerie film to watch, knowing what happened. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Brandon Lee was actually killed filming the scene where his character was killed. The character is sort of this supernatural guy who comes back from the dead to basically avenge his own murder and the murder of his you know of his of his his girlfriend or whatever. So there is this kind of strange blend of of the reality of the story and the reality of our world. And there is this interesting thing where you know the character dies and comes back to life, and it's almost this fantasy of what we wish could happen with brandon lee you know and and in a way almost did in a in a sort of a in the context of it made him a star you know tragically after the fact posthumously the movie comes out and it's a hit, and everyone loves it, and he gives a very good performance and it it, it sort of was like he almost became this larger than life figure after the fact, so there's this whole like meta text around the movie. That is almost unavoidable I guess now if you just picked it up you had no idea you might not know the, the background about Brandon Lee and the fact right. that he was killed but it certainly was it was inescapable when the movie came out oh it was
1: a big deal yeah and I think
0: was... people now you know just the, the minimum of research you would know this and I think it does kind of make the movie interesting because the character is about coming back to life and is about death and revenge and all these things Mr. Gideon who <gasps> not paying attention <laughs>
1: i repeat
0: a gold engagement ring yes it was pawned here a year ago by a customer of yours named Tindy. he confided in me before he ran out of breath I would say, you know, I haven't seen any of the sequels. Some of the sequels are available on Netflix. Proceed at your own peril there. But the original movie, the original Crow from 1994, that's one worth checking out. That's available on Netflix. The Chitauri are coming. Nothing will change that.
1: What have I to fear? The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Yes. I've met them. <laughs> yeah. takes us a while to get any traction. I'll give you that one. But let's do a head count here. Your brother, the demigod.
0: A super soldier, living legend, who kind of lives up to the legend. A man with breathtaking anger management issues. A couple of master assassins. And you, big fella. You've managed to piss off every single one of them. That was the plan. Not a great plan. When they come... And they will. They'll come for you. I have an army. We have a Hulk. So, The Avengers. Excuse me, Jordan. Marvel's The Avengers.
1: Say it right. Say it right. Marvel's
0: The Avengers. Uh, With $1.5 billion grossed worldwide, I imagine most people in the listening audience have probably seen this movie already. And formed their own opinions about it. I don't think we're going to be surprising anybody. But I still thought it might be interesting to look back at the movie now for this reason. Uh, The movie was released a little over a year ago last summer. And actually Jordan and I saw the movie together at this crazy movie marathon that AMC Theaters did where they showed every single Marvel movie up to the Avengers in a marathon and then premiered the Avengers at midnight like Thursday night at midnight so we were amongst the first people to see the movie and the place which was full of you know comic book nerds who put us to shame i would say you know we were on the low spectrum of insanity they went absolutely crazy it was one of the most enthusiastic responses i've ever witnessed for a movie and it was infectious it, it was
1: like it was like being at the muppet theater you know where they're just
0: flinging one <laughs> another in the air popcorn going in all directions it was crazy it was bananas and i remember and i had a great time and i remember you know and this was like a day where we watched something like 12 hours of movies straight with no break and I remember we were flagging a little in the middle of the day. These were all movies we'd seen before with the exception of The Avengers. And I remember, though, after The Avengers, I went home. It's like 3 in the morning by the time I get home, and I could not sleep. I was so Amped on the movie. I'd had so much fun and the excitement in the air was just so infectious. But I think that the buildup around the movie in general and about some of these major comic book movies, it can get like that. You can get swept up in the hype, in the excitement. You know, there's so much anticipation about the Avengers or the Dark Knight Rises or Man of Steel or one of these movies that. You know, sometimes you get you get swept up in it too. It can be exciting, and so sometimes your opinion can change. It can it can change one way or the other. You can you can find your opinion of it has you know cooled, or maybe you were maybe you felt uh, you were against the hype and you you didn't like it, and then your opinion changes. So I thought now would be a good time to look back with a little bit of hindsight, a little bit of a clearer head. Uh, we haven't, we've, we've pulled the, uh, Tesseract spear out of our hearts. We're no longer under Loki's mind control. So we can think more clearly. So my question to you, Jordan, is this, what did you think of the Avengers when you saw it the first time last year? And what do you think about it now? And has your opinion of the movie changed?
1: I think my opinion of the movie has not changed. Um, having looked at it again and having watched it since that first night, uh, up until today, um, it's just, it's just a very watchable film. I'm going to give you a great example. Um, I I do a lot of flying, and whenever I go to the restroom at the back of the plane, and I come back out, there's always somebody watching the Avengers, and I'm always kind of like looking over their shoulder for a second. It's like, oh, that's the scene where this happens, or there's that zing that's coming up. You know, uh, there's the, the funny line about Galaga is going to be happening here. So it's it's just a very it's just a really fun time and it's very engaging. Um, I will say though, it's not by any stretch a perfect film. I mean, I think it's so good at what it does, and it's the really as good as these kind of summer tent poles can be. But the first half does kind of lag a little bit. Um, really up until the first fight on the helicarrier, it's there's a lot of talking. Um, but it's still very fun talking because you love the characters and you love the interplay. But I can't lie and say that it's Shakespeare. You know, I, it's funny. I think about the fact that this is the third most um, highest grossing film out there. And like you say, everybody's seen it. What do people who saw this that never see movies think of it? You know, movies like Titanic or Avatar or um, whatever, those are the types of movies that people who never go to the movies see. That's why they become phenomenons, they make a zillion dollars. So. There had to have been a lot of people who had never heard of these characters that went and said, oh, we got to see this movie everybody's talking about. What are they thinking during the first half? Because not only is it you need a little bit of background, it's also like, you know, this guy Thor is yelling at this dude with a shield. And, and this is ridiculous. Um, but then once you get to the second half, it's just so propulsive and so energetic. Um, and the characters are just really a lot of fun. I think the shot. The sequence that everybody loves, where it's just that that fluid computer generated shot of watching all of the characters battle the Chitari in in ways that are specific to their um, talents, uh, is is the movie sort of summed up in one shot. You know, it's like they're working as a team, but they all have their own individual shtick, and it just really zooms on by. So uh, I, I think it definitely stands the test of time, but uh, I, I can't lie and say that uh, it's, you know, it's not like Casablanca where every single scene is like, oh my God, this is just humming on all the you know, it's, it's, they're definitely you know, let's be realistic about it is what I guess I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean I mostly agree with you. I think, you know with the benefit of hindsight, looking back at it now, I think you know, the strengths of the movie really hold up. It's almost like the strengths seem str- stronger and some of the weaknesses seem weaker. You know, like you, you're able to see the flaws a little more clearly, I think. But also you do appreciate how good a lot of it is. And you mentioned that there is so much talking in the middle of the movie. And it's certainly the, the the weakest part is sort of that kind of sluggish middle part. The The opening is certainly no great shakes. But then right after that opening opening the first opening with uh, the shield shenanigans then you get the sort of like the building the team part which i actually think is really well done with all the different members getting their individual scenes and i think all of those work uh really well but the thing that really kind of makes it is the fact that you know it's a well-written movie and you have joss whedon's voice coming through very clearly and and the fact that you know he's able to enliven some of those more sluggish moments, um, and the fact that it is a little longer and a little slower at times actually kind of harkens back to some of those earlier movies that I enjoyed that were a little bit more about character and 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 then they could be a little quirkier. You know, there's like a Galaga bit. You know, like that, I did not remember uh, from the first time that there's a guy, one of the shield guys, is playing Galaga on that's the. That's my favorite character. part. Of the, that's my favorite part of the whole movie. I totally, I, I totally missed that the first time. I don't, I didn't remember it. I was so enraptured, I guess. By I was so lost in a few. I was in an Avengers uh, fugue state, I guess. I don't, I didn't <laughs> remember that. So uh, yeah, I love that little stuff. All the little touches like that. You know that he clearly understands the characters as a longtime comic book fan, and he gives them all great little moments. and And you're right. And then that big finale uh, is is really fun and really well made, and it looks fantastic. And it might even look better at home, although the Netflix, which you know, I don't know if we've mentioned yet, yeah, the movie is available on Netflix streaming. The Netflix copy i don't think is h d which is a, a knock against it, but on the plus side, it 's not in three d which was how we saw it, yeah and I, you certainly don't miss anything not having it in three d this time. I actually enjoyed uh, rewatching it uh, not in three d so I would say yes, uh, I would agree with you in large part that you know it's a very fun, very watchable movie, it holds up well it's a it's a very well made movie it 's a home run in most. Uh, most regards, it has a, a few problems. Let's segue here into another question about this movie, which is Jordan, can you explain to me what is Loki's plan? <laughs> uh, I'm going to try. Um, he's
1: got the cosmic cube, which is called the, the Tesseract. Tesseract. Um, he is going to uh, bring the Chitari, which are Skrulls or whatever you want to call them, um, to Earth to um, make humanity bow at his feet I guess yeah no he has no clear plan he doesn't know I think he really just wants to show up his brother he's just upset at Thor but I mean I guess the question is yes so if if the Chitari were to defeat the armies of the world you know what next I mean what, does the economy keep going you know what sort of political <laughs> system is there like is it just he sits in a chair and has just people throw themselves at him I mean
0: I guess. I mean that. I, I, I'm almost less confused Wait, by no, that. No, no, it's
1: not. It's not Loki. He's doing it on behalf of Thanos. At the end,
0: he doesn't know he's working for for Thanos. As far as we know in the movie, you know, this is his shtick. He's doing this all. He's he's doing all of this because he wants to conquer earth and like you said I think he does want to sit on a throne and rule my question is like how does he expect to get there by like being captured by the Avengers for a while and staying on the ship and making them all angry you know it's like the it's like the pink slime gag from Ghostbusters 2 it's like oh they're really angry and it's gonna you know ruin everything but then they become friends again Uh, but then he (laughs) he uncaptures himself himself if that's a word And then he just shows up in New York. Like, the whole time they're searching, where does he have it? Where does he have it? And then at the end, it just kind of shows up in New York at the top of uh, Stark's uh, Stark tower. tower. Stark yeah. Tower. Yeah, it just – and then the whole thing with the, these Chitari and it's like, what do they want? They want to come here? Why do no, they want Though
1: to- no, that's in the very first shot. The very first shot is – it's what we later learn is Thanos is sending the Chitari and saying, our man – well, you know, it's like I, – I, it, the implication is that they're in cahoots, but I guess it's Thanos is pulling Loki's puppet strings. Is that it? I can't believe we're talking about this a year later. I mean that's what's ridiculous.
0: But, the, the movie but that's so, kind of my point though.
1: Yeah, the movie is so energetic that you just come out singing and whistling a happy tune and it – you know, General Zod in, in Man of Steel and in Superman 2 had a much better plan for world domination. In Superman 2, he goes to the White House and in uh, Man of Steel, he's planning to blow the whole place up with the world engine – uh, you got to give it to DC for making their uh, their ma- evil mastermind plans a little bit more um, uh, understandable. Because I right now can't remember what the hell Loki's trying to do.
0: But I think it's unbelievable. Well, I, it's not even a matter of remembering. Like I just watched this movie again last night, and it's not a matter of remembering. I could. I was. I was watching it this time and paying a little more attention and not being quite so caught up in the sort of the energy and the spectacle which i'm still enjoying i just i'm sitting there going what is I, this doesn't make any sense like it, none of it like i don't underst- like i don't understand any of it and maybe people will write into us you know at our feedback right, email right. svu at uh, filmspottingsvu.com dot com and explain to me, and I'm sure they'll be very polite and pleasant, and will in no way be angry at me or or say call hateful, it, spiteful things.
1: They'll, they'll call you a fake geek girl, is what they'll call you.
0: Well, but, I but, hope but, not. But th- th- I mean, I, I I just it is kind of fascinating that you can make a movie that feels this good and, th- and is this enjoyable that doesn't have a-, a plot that makes any sense whatsoever.
1: Well, in the movie's defense, though, I mean Loki is a character that. You kind of just have to trust. I mean you're watching him do this thing and you're discovering it with him. And I guess there's a part of your brain that instinctually says, you know, so far Loki has been pretty sharp. If this next step is going to work, he's going to know because so far everything he's done has worked in his favor. So if when the Chitauri invade and defeat Earth's mightiest heroes assembled – Uh, you know, then he's going to move on to to stage six of his plan, which is, but then we never see it because of uh, what happens.
0: Right, right. Well, I don't know. I I, I just was, I was curious if you would be, I was hoping you would be able to. He wants
1: to take over. He's going to use the monsters to to shut everybody up and he's going to sit in a chair and laugh.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, the other thing that I think is worth kind of hitting home um, is the fact that you know so many of these uh, of the comic book movies, even the ones that I enjoy, that they really are you know they're just sort of like they're great delivery devices for spectacle, for special effects, for these amazing stunts and visuals and computer generated uh, you know awesomeness. But in, and and this movie has that for sure there are some spectacular visuals. you mentioned that one great shot that's one long take and we see each member of the team and it kind of segues smoothly from one to the next to the next and that's all fantastic uh, but but th- it's it, it doesn't feel like a movie that's sort of like in service of the effects. It feels like the effects and the and the action and the excitement are in the service of the of the characters actually. It, even though Loki and all of his nonsense doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you do sort of feel the tension between him and Thor. And you're right, like it clearly is about their rivalry. And, and and so you have all the stuff with with Thor and Loki and you have all the great stuff with Iron Man and with and with Captain America and even the little characters like Black Widow and and Hawkeye to probably the least extent. Um, it actually does feel like it's about the characters first, and if not about their development, quote-unquote, then it's about the interplay and the dialogue. And, like, sure, there's lots of people who haven't, like you said... You know because the movie made so much money that there it's it's on a scale of like Titanic or Avatar where people didn't see the previous movies, but it sort of takes for granted to a certain extent that you ha- you have a basic familiarity with these characters and maybe you've seen the first movie, so you understand sort of like that's where like the the character development for each individual character belongs. And what the Avengers is for is to see them play off one another. And so you get all these great little sort of riffs between the characters. You know, like there's the scenes between Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, where you get to see how these guys kind of interact and how two super science geniuses kind of work together. And then there's the scene where Captain America and Iron Man have to work together to, like, save the helicarrier. That's a fantastic scene.
1: There's great permutations Throughout, I mean, everybody right. gets a moment to play with somebody else, and you've really nailed it because that's that's what separates the wheat from the chaff and the, and uh, separates the the men from the boys. It's it's some of these films are just spectacle and that's it, and you come away with a sugar high, and some of them you actually feel something resonate. And you know, a piece of garbage like it's not technically a comic book movie, but you know, Van Helsing, the the Hugh Jackman vehicle, is you know it's got a lot of characters and a lot of zipping around with computer generated images and it's just junk you don't give a darn about any of them um but avengers even if you um haven't been building up to it with the previous 5 films i think there's there's good writing and good performances and there's like charismatic characters enough that even a newcomer will will care about those scenes where where they're just talking. And, you know, we were saying before that some of the movie feels a little overly talky. It's still, the the stuff that is there, by and large, is is quite good. So, um, th- you know, that's the key differentiator. When it's, you know, you know one of these movies where it's just, you know, it just feels like an exploitation film, which has its place, you know, grab a six-pack and go to the midnight screening and, and hoot and holler, but it's not, you know, it. <laughs> there's a reason that the Avengers, uh, you know, sort of, rose to the top, whereas, you know, I don't know, the Underworld series or um, some of the other ones did did not quite, uh, the the Resident Evil movies are a lot of fun and they have a fan base, but, you know, they're garbage and I've seen it and I love the Resident Evil movies, but I love them like I love a giant bowl of Frosted Flakes, you know, (laughs) and it's not a, it's not a, it's not a real, not a real thing.
0: All right, well. I I think we we've uh, we've we've pretty much covered. it. We could probably talk for hours about this, but I don't I don't know if anyone but us would be entertained by that. And that is the Avengers. It is available to stream. If you're by some chance you haven't seen it yet, or you want to go back and rewatch it, it's available now to stream on Netflix and also on Amazon Prime. All right, we're going to wrap things up this episode, of course, with Behind the Eight Ball, our countdown of three new films on streaming, two listener recommendations, and one film chosen blindly by number from my queue. Allison's not here. I've got my picks here. I didn't make Jordan go through it. this. It's a very time-consuming process. I didn't want to keep Jordan any longer than I had to. So we've got my Behind the Eight Ball, but he's going to chime in where necessary, where he feels... uh, where he feels like he wants to, to chime in and uh here we go are we are you ready to begin jordan
1: i'm ready to chime
0: Bring okay the fantastic here we <laughs> all right here we go starting with three new releases first up The film Shut Up and Play the Hits is a 2012 documentary. It's available now on Netflix. It's a concert film about LCD Sound System, the band, uh, their farewell concert at Madison Square Garden. The next film is available now on Hulu. It's also a documentary, not a music documentary, though. It's called Pulling John. I saw this film a few years ago at uh, the South by Southwest Film Festival. It's a documentary about the world of competitive arm wrestling. So it's one of these documentaries, sort of about a subculture where you kind of get brought into this world that you'd never really knew before, but the people in it are really obsessed and crazed about it. And I always like these kind of documentaries, and this one is, is is a solid one. And it's about the world of arm wrestling. It's about this guy who's been the champion arm wrestler for years and years, and a couple of guys who are now sort of like challenging for his throne. They're nipping at his heels. So that's Pulling John. That about- sounds
1: terrific. I haven't seen it, but that sounds really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's worth checking out. That's Pulling John, available on Hulu, and finally. Uh, a double feature, both available on uh, Netflix, uh, by director Alex Karpovsky, Rubberneck and Red Flag, two different movies by the same filmmaker, Alex Karpovsky, who you might know now as one of the actors on Girls, the HBO series. Ray. Ray, His, Ray on Girls. He's, that's, he's the character, Ray. Yeah, he plays Ray. That's right. In Red Flag, he plays uh, – it's a comedy, and he plays basically Alex Karpovsky, in quotation marks, an indie filmmaker. He's on a road trip. In Rubberneck, he plays a scientist named Paul, and that movie is more of a drama. It's sort of like a, an obsessive thriller kind of thing where he becomes obsessed with a coworker, and that kind of drives him crazy. I actually never saw either of these movies, although I am a fan of Karpovsky's work as an actor. Jordan, did you see these? i've seen them both and do you would you recommend them i recommend them both ah fantastic but they're very different uh, red flag
1: is very very lo-fi very laid back it's funny um and it's got the usual gang from these movies uh, jennifer prediger i think is how you pronounce her last name plays the wacky girl uh you know her from some of the swanberg films and um the guy uh He's actually a, an acquaintance of mine who plays uh, the, the goofy friend, and I can't pronounce his name correctly, so it's embarrassing. He's not a, a Turkish, very good friend. Are you well, are. I, I, he's of Turkish origin. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I think it's Tukel. His name is Owner Tukel. He was also in Septian, and. Um, he made his own movie called Richard's Wedding, which is hilarious. You gotta see Richard's Wedding. Um another one of these sort of uh I'm not gonna use the M word and say what you know what the word I'm thinking Mumblecore. but I'm not saying that word. Um but uh you know, he's involved with the group of people um as is Karpowski. So um that's red flag, it's funny, it's not hilarious, but it's lo-fi kinda like solid. have a have it's a pastel blue ribbon and watch this movie. Uh rubberneck is very interesting. It's a psychological drama um of uh where you just it's a very interesting performance from Kropotsky also because he's usually uh playing, you know, uh kind of a, a New York schlub. Right. And in this uh he's playing um He's a, a Boston like, Schlub now. He's a Boston Schlub, but he also he's like um, he works in a in a science lab. He's very introverted, and you discover secrets and it ultimately gets to a violent place. Mm. Um and did not expect that at all. And I like I think I like Rubberneck more than right. uh than I like Red Flag. Because Red Flag, although it's fun, it's you've seen it before. Uh Rubberneck is pretty damn interesting.
0: All right, great. So that's Rubberneck and Red Flag, two different films, and Jordan recommended them both there, and they're both available on Netflix. Now we've got two listener recommendations for you. The first is from Charlie in Chicago, and he writes in and says Last night, my girlfriend and I watched a movie that I haven't seen since. It was in theaters, and she had never seen it at all. It was 1993's Heart and Soul's now streaming on Netflix Instant. I don't think I've ever even heard of this movie, Jordan.
1: Let me go to the Google machine. (laughs) All right. Well,
0: I'm going to know. I'm going to read you what uh, Charlie says here. He says it features a superb cast, including Charles Grodin, Kira Sedgwick, Alfre Woodard, Tom Sizemore, Elizabeth Shue, and Robert Downey Jr. in another of his great roles. The premise is a little complex. It's about four recently deceased ghosts, being forever tied to a recently birthed baby boy, only yeah. he can see them, and they must always be within 10 feet of him. Also, they can possess him. Also, there's a ghost bus. And then Charlie <laughs> writes, it's it's a little much on paper, but I feel the movie handles the ghost rules exposition pretty solidly and also serves the character w- characters well before the plot takes off. And honestly, I got Misty about every five minutes. All the beats feel straight out of a quirky 50s comedy, While still being a cutesy 90s romance that was made specifically to appeal to baby boomers, if you can let go of the calcified cynicism that comes with adulthood, I think you'll find a pretty enjoyable time waiting for you. So that's Heart and Souls available on netflix that's from charlie i've never heard of this movie i'm gonna add ne- it to my queue it sounds intriguing
1: it sounds intriguing i'm looking at the poster now so the poster looks familiar so i know that this guy's not making it up
0: <laughs> um what a
1: cast david Paymer, uh, Tom time sizemore uh chucky groden i mean forget about it bb king is in the film also as himself uh the director ron underwood has a mixed bag uh Uh, He started off well with Tremors and City Slickers. Mm -hmm. Uh, His most recent film was Santa Baby 2. And he also did The Adventures of Pluto Nash. So, I mean, he's kind of all over the place. Um, But uh, it sounds to me like... um, you know, uh, Look Who's Talking meets Here Comes Mr. Jordan or something. It's, it sounds like uh, – It sounds interesting. I'd, yeah, I'd be willing to put it in my queue. It's a great cast. All Why right. not?
0: All right. Well, thank you for that recommendation. We've got one more recommendation here. This one's from Josh who writes in and says, This may seem weird, but after the unfortunate passing of Dennis Farina, the great actor who passed away last week, he says, I watched Stealing Harvard on Netflix Instant. While critically derided and commercially ignored, this was a favorite of mine as a preteen, and Farina is great as Leslie Mann's overbearing and creepy father. It's still pretty funny and deserves another look. So that's Stealing Harvard, and it's available on Netflix. I'm trying to remember if I saw this movie. All oh, right, with Jason Lee and Tom Green. I have to admit, I might have seen this one. It's directed no. by Bruce McCullough.
1: I never saw it. Bruce McCullough directed it. No, it's yeah. Bruce McCullough from the Kids in the Hall. That's the greatest right. the greatest of the kids in the Hall.
0: I think I did see it and I don't think I liked it. But you know what? Okay. I might be inclined to check it out again on Josh's what, what recommendation.
1: What was the Harvard movie what was the Harvard movie with Joe Pesci? I don't know. He did a movie set in Harvard, uh called like uh Uh because right. that's what I thought that, that he was talking All right. about. You
0: look that up, and I'm going to go on to our last part of Behind the Eight Ball here because we're going very long. Our last part is the one random, uh, the one random film b- chosen blindly from my queue by number. And I had Jordan, without even knowing what he was doing, I had Jordan give me a random number. He gave me number 56. Are you ready to find what random thing you picked, Jordan? I want to know. The television series Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. <laughs> How about that on our episode all wow. about? Wow, that's all, perfect. That's right, the cartoon series from the '80s, of course, the classic uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The the premise of this show was it was a Spider-Man show with. His 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 amazing friends were Iceman and, and Firestar, a character who was created for the show, but then then later became a comic book character in her own right, with a history and complex continuity all its own. But I watched the show as a kid, and I think they added it recently to Netflix Instant. So I. Threw it on there for a potential nostalgia view. I haven't gotten around to watching any of it yet. I don't know how well it holds up, but I do remember vividly the show and also the credit sequence where Spider-Man is like swinging around on the logo, and the the announcer is singing like <laughs> Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And da da da. Anyway, uh, so that's that's that was Spider-Man and his amazing friends, the the complete epic series. I never watched Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, but I, I
1: I hope it still holds some merit for you because it it's, it stinks to go back and see something that you loved as a kid uh, not 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 stand up. So. Yeah,
0: I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a classic. Well, I'll find out at some point because it is available now to stream on Netflix.
1: W- would you like to know the name of the Joe Pesci absolutely?
0: Movie? What was it?
1: It's called "With Honors.":
0: Oh, with honors.": Yeah, that's
1: what I thought this guy was talking about, not the Tom Green movie directed by Bruce McCullough, which no, um, that
0: was a different movie. yeah, yeah. And, that, and with honors, I, you know, if you had said the movie where uh, with the Madonna theme song, I might have gotten it, because that's right. what I always think of it as with the song by Madonna in it. but anyway, I'm so glad we cleared that up. It would have really it would have destroyed me not to know. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part of the show normally where we go through our listeners' choice options for our next episode. We don't need to do that because we've already decided, or you guys have already decided, our next listeners' choice review is going to be Orange is the New Black, the Netflix original series. So start watching that now. In two weeks, we'll be back with that review, and we will dive in, hopefully, to the complete series. I'm going to try to watch the entire thing. I know Allison has already watched it all. She's raring to go and ready to discuss it. So Everybody
1: loves it, and I'm getting You know, – I'm a big Star Trek guy, um, and I've been getting really? – Texts. Yeah. Well maybe not all the listeners know that I also write a weekly column for Star Trek.com called One Trek Mind. No, it's it's um, but I've been getting texts ever since this Orange is the New Black started because Janeway's in it. Um I mean she's got a real name. Her name yeah. is Kate
0: McCrue. <laughs> I was gonna say the actress who played uh, Catherine Cap- Janeway. Captain yeah.
1: Janeway is On apparently in it and um she kills apparently. She's apparently wonderful. And I've been getting texts from from people from from far-flung places saying, are you watching Orange is the New Black? My wife has watched the first few episodes, and she loves it. She's watched eight, she just told me. I didn't even know she was in the room. Um, <laughs> but she, she's watched eight of them so far. And uh, I haven't seen it yet, but um, I'm also not Allison, so you're not going to talk about it with me. But uh, maybe we'll talk about it.
0: Uh, i-r-l that's right that's right Uh, in the meantime before that episode be sure to go to filmspottingsvu.com where you can find our show archive as well as a list to direct links of all the movies and tv shows we discuss on the show our filmspotting svu remix theme song is by vince vandal you can listen to more of vince's work at vincevandal.com We'll be back in two weeks with that Orange is the New Black review. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter, at Matt Singer. You can also follow the show on Twitter, at FilmSpottingSVU. And you can follow Jordan on Twitter. Jordan, what's your Twitter handle?
1: My Twitter handle is jhoffman6, J-H-O-F-F-M-A-N, and then the numeral 6.
0: All right. Well, Jordan, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining me. This has been a very fun conversation. I can't imagine doing it with anybody else. No Aww. one else would have been as uh, nerdy and as non disapproving as you were. You were so welcoming and embracing my. Well, I embrace
1: it so long as it's canonical and does not breach any. Um, <laughs> you know, so long as it's all within universe, it's okay with me.
0: Oh, fantastic! Is there anything else you want to plug while uh, while you're here? Anything else people <laughs> should check out? You wrote a great list. You ranked. I think the listeners would be into this. You Ranked every single Woody Allen movie ever this week at film.com. It was an impressive list. I don't think you should spoil it, I think people no, should no. go find it at film.com. Take a look. I, I'm i sure we have some uh, Woody Allen fans who will be interested to see your rankings and compare them with their own. But uh, again, thank you so much for uh, filling in for Allison this week. He was really appreciated. I had a good time. I hope you did too.
1: I did as well, yes.
0: All right. Well, for Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening.